Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Hearing that, the, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's pray for Pastor Mike as he comes this morning. Lord Jesus, you've brought us here today to worship you and to... Uh, Be filled with truth, Lord, and we ask today that as Pastor Mike comes to share these words, that indeed our eyes would be opened, that there would be nothing standing in the way between what you have to say through us, or to us through Pastor Mike, and what's in our hearts. So, Lord, we open our hearts today. Bless Pastor Mike as he comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You know, I... uh... Grew up in church, this one, that said that all the time, because I always believe the morning's good. Anytime we're together as the household of faith, it's good morning, amen? So, we'll get right into it, because we have a lot to do today. Um, When I was back in a young person, we had what they called UMYF. Any of you from that generation? Yeah, UMYF, United Methodist Youth Fellowship. That's been transformed to 412, which is based on a Bible verse, which is great. But when I was in this church as a, as a high school student in UMYF, periodically, once, twice a year, we would have rock climbing trips where we would go to Savannah, Illinois, or this place in Wisconsin that had all these cliffs. <clears throat> and we would rock climb. And we had one of our leaders was Carl Renter, and he had all the gear, and he had the ability to teach us. And I remember we'd go there, and I got to tell you, when you look at like a, a rock that's this size, the size of this wall right here in the church, you think that's not that big a rock. It's not really that high, right? I mean, I've been to the mountains of Colorado. You've been to the Grand Canyon. That's really not that high until you consider that you might fall from there. And then it seems pretty high, doesn't it? So you kind of want some instructions on how I'm going to get from here to there and back down here without that fall part in the middle. So I remember Mr. Renter, you know, teaching us all these kind of things and how to climb right and the right equipment and stuff like that. But then he said this, and I always remember this. He said, listen, guys, rock climbing, it's not complicated, but it's really hard. But it's really hard. I want to tell you guys. Listen to this. Christianity, it's not complicated, but it's really hard. It's really hard to live it day by day. See, when when Mr. Renter would tell us about rock climbing, what he'd say, you know, the first thing you have to do, the first decision you have to make about rock climbing is that you're going to climb. When you strap yourself into the harness and and your face is against that, that cliff, the first decision you have to make is, I'm going up. I'm going up. And then, and then, you got to pick your path and put what you know into motion. Decide to go, pick your path, and then put what you know into motion. So that, to me, is Christianity. Decide your path. I have decided I'm following Jesus. I know the New and the Old Testaments of the Scriptures, and I'm going to put them 
into motion. See, the great commandment of Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself calls for a decision in faithfulness. It calls us to what we'll love. And it calls us to what we should do. When you're a Christian and when you're a United Methodist Christian in specific, you're called to love God and do things for God's people. This is what we do. And here's the problem. At least one of them. Life is messy. It is so easy to live your faith out in a coffee cup. It really is. It's so easy to live your faith out when things are going well. But when you throw things into your life like cancer or Alzheimer's, relationship breakup or not getting the promotion at work that we hoped or differences of opinion within a family or within a group of friendship, life gets messy. And we're supposed to live our Christianity out in the midst of a messy life. And I have to tell you that this is why the United Methodist Church was built. One of our United Methodist distinctives is that we're built for faith in the midst of a messy life. We are built for faith and faithful life in the midst of a messy, messy life. We make the decision in the midst of it all, no matter what, I'm going to be faithful. We're going to be faithful. And then we pick our path and we put what we know into motion. Now, uh, Pastor Keith and the whole discipleship team has put together and they've made some decisions to help us to, to how it is that we can faithfully walk the path of life. And we've put together a path that we know will help us keep in motion. I want to show you a picture of our discipleship pathway. Now, on our discipleship pathway, <clears throat> there's a number of words. And I'm going to get briefly around them because one thing I want you to notice right away about our discipleship pathway, it is not a clear ascent. Most of us in faithful life or in anything don't have a clear ascent where we keep going up and we never do anything but keep going up, right? None of our lives run that way. It's always a little bit messy and it's got some squiggles in it. So, so we, we, we put these words on the discipleship pathway, not because they're the best words, but we hope that they'll be words that you'll understand. You know, it starts kind of, uh, and you notice that there's no ends to this path, but along the line, you know, we kind of look at that observing category of saying, well, I've driven by the church. I know what it is. I've considered going in. Maybe I'll pass by there someday. I've been to a funeral or wedding. Or Then you, you come to the exploring piece of the, of, of the path and say, you know, I, I want to explore something about my faith. I have intentions. I have inclination. And, and maybe I've taken a pew Bible home because it says they're free. Or maybe I've downloaded the Bible app on my iPhone or something like that. And, but I have interest in the faith. And then, and then it, it comes on to engaging where you say, I'm going to get in a Bible study or I'm going to try a class, even if it's really scary to me. And even though I, I feel like I'm going to freak out when I walk in. But you start to explore and you start to dig into the faith uh, a little bit. And, and as you go through that, and you can find all this on our website and take the little quiz that tells you where you go. It's like four questions, so don't think it's overwhelming. But then we get to deepening. And when deep, we get to a deepening spot on our pathway, it means you, you really are starting to think the things of God and trying to put them into play in every single decision of your life, every piece al- along your life. And when you move on to centering or to centered, it means that, that you are almost ready to be a missionary to Africa. But understand this, that you and I, we jump off the path from time to time. And the reason we got a really distinctive path and the reason that, that our discipleship team put together this pathway is so that we'll know how to get back to it. Because we've already made the decision that we're going to follow Jesus. And we just are picking our path and putting it in motion. But sometimes 
You get off it. And, and I want to tell you that, that this has a, a good direction and it keeps us in motion. It won't be perfect. But, but you see that in our hallways. You see it on our website because we understand that we're going somewhere. And if you get off the path, you can loop back even sometimes. And I've known people like this say, well, they started moving towards deepening and they say, I'm not, I'm not quite feeling it yet. And they go back, you know, to, to maybe an engaging place and, and they find themselves there. But the reason that we have all this is that United Methodists believe we need to be moving forward. We're Christians that we believe we need to be moving forward. John Wesley wrote this. Take a look at the screens. There is no religion but social religion. No holiness but social holiness. It means we're in this together. We're not just Christians in a vacuum. You don't just believe God in a vacuum. It's such as it was to say, let's climb together. Let's, let's walk the path of life together. Let's pick a path and let's help each other put what we know in motion. Let's, let's be accountable to each other for putting what we know in motion. Because John Wesley, like <clears throat> most of us, have this simplistic concern. is that we don't all know the same things. One of the hardest things, I think, when you come into a body like this is, there's an old song a Canadian band wrote, you don't know the same things I don't know, right? And you assume I know things you don't know, and all those kind of things. And we assume when we're new to the Christian faith or when we're just dabbling, coming to the church, we assume that everybody around us knows more about God than we do. And I want to tell you, that's what Wesley was trying to approach and, as, as he did this. He, 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 his concern was that we don't all know the same things, and so he wanted to find a way John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, wanted to find a way to help people new to the faith that maybe are just kind of coming into the first time or maybe even haven't been to a worship service yet. He wanted to help people that were new to the faith and those that were very mature to the faith that might know the books of the Bible in order and had even read them quite a bit and knew the, the teachings and theology of them to get together and grow together. He, he wanted to find ways for the beginners and the advanced to get together and grow together. And I want to tell you this, because this is our last on our United Methodist Distinctions distinctive series. His plan was brilliant. His plan was absolutely brilliant. First thing he did was he created what's known as the United Societies. Now, that's a complicated way of saying he put together small groups of people. He put people in groups of 12 adults or or, or less, and and they'd get together for prayer and to be united in, in fellowship, to share the Word of God, and to watch over one another. They would get together to work out their salvation, which means, you know, we, we know that God is, is, is saving us. We know that we have God's grace to us. And we work it out by being together and doing things together and being accountable because sometimes your life, my life is hard and it's helpful. Someone else says, keep the faith, sister. Keep the faith, brother. And the second thing that John Wesley did to fuel these groups, so getting, actually, I always think for groups in a church, one of the hardest things to do is just get in your car and go to it. Because once you're there, you know, there are people like us, and we usually tend to enjoy it. And, and I'll tell you this, that Keith and I are working right now, along with our whole ministry team, of putting together a campaign in the, in the fall uh, around some of the parables of Jesus that will put us in some groups and give you the opportunity to unite in prayer and fellowship and, and maybe have those groups last uh, a little bit longer than, uh, than, than a few weeks. But Wesley decided then, what, how, what can be the meat of these groups? What, what will they do when they're there? So, so he came up with three general rules in the Methodist church. And if you're using the insert that I gave you, you're about ready to start filling stuff in. The general rules are the practical application of what it means to, to follow Christ. And the general rules are, today, there's a book called Three Simple Rules, and they're the same in just updated language. And I'll probably be using the updated language because we might not get England of 1740. 
You know, so, so, so he wanted to have these, these pieces that, that, that were so simple that a beginner could get their hands around them and they could, they could dig their teeth into them, but they were so open-ended that the more mature in the faith could, could, could help them along the path. So here's the first rule. First rule, do no harm. The first general rule of the United Methodist Church is do no harm, which, which is followed with the, the exhortation, avoid evil. Avoid evil of every kind. Avoid evil of every kind. Now, of course, I can run you through the common ones. There was a little list that the United Societies put together. The common ways to, to do no harm is to not use the Lord's name in vain, not be drunken in public, not to be holding slaves, not to be brawling or quarreling. And to make sure that we do not do to others as we would prefer not to be done to us. We don't do to others what we would not like done to us. Do you ever think about how much time, those of us, and when our Christianity slips off the side of our plate, how much time we think in, of being unchristian to other people? Well, I know what I just said. <laughs> Usually when you say, well, I know what I just said, <laughs> you're not thinking Christian terms. I'd have told them. Nah. In Christian terms, you said, I'd have told you that, God, you are an infinite, you know, you're a creature of value and infinite worth to God. That's what you'd have told them. That's usually not what comes out, though, is it? Do no harm. Don't do the things that you would not prefer having done to you. And do not do what you know is not to the glory of God. Do not do what is, you know is not to the glory of God. <clears throat> because doing no harm requires an honest appraisal of who it is that we are. We have to look deeply within ourselves, how we live and how we practice the faith. And that takes some space, by the way. And we're not good at taking space. We need space to consider the alternatives and the, uh, 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 to our thoughts, our words, and, and deeds. We need space to think of what the consequences of our words, space, and, and things that we do. You know, it's interesting to me that we have less time today than we've ever had. And we have more conveniences. Think about how your grandmother... Wash clothes. You got it easier, right? Think about what, let me give you an example. This is how I wash dishes. This is how I wash dishes at my home. But yet we have no time. <clears throat> we have so many conveniences, but we have no time. And, and one of the things that Wesley calls us to in, the, in this three general rules of when we talk about do no harm is to take time even when your day doesn't seem conducive to time to put down whatever it is that that you're doing and get some space where you can consider how righteous and right what you're saying and what you're doing is consider what the consequences of what you're doing and saying is and are there alternatives that are more useful I, I love this verse. I know it's a coffee, coffee uh, cup verse. It comes from 1 Peter 5, 7. I, I love it because it works. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, if you take space to just think about what you're doing, you can trust in God because he'll help you out. See, when we, when we say in the Methodist Church to do no harm, that is a radical response to God's grace because it gives 
makes us give up our assumed position of rightness. We were talking about this in my Bible study this week. I'm just give you a little quiz here. How many of you generally think that what your thought and opinion is, is right? <laughs> There's only like 12 of you in here? <laughs> Dear Lord, please forgive them. No, you know, I... Uh, I didn't know this was going to be a repentance service, but we might have to do that. But, you know, we do tend to think we're right. We, we, we come with the idea that no, no matter what we're thinking, and it could be some silly things sometimes, and some very thoughtful things, we assume that we're right. And when you do no harm, when you're, when you're committed to doing no harm, you're moving out of the seat of rightness. There is no bartering of the will of God. Now, maybe you've been out of the country recently. I know the last time I was out of the country, I was in Port-au-Prince, and I was with some of our high school students at one of those markets that all developing countries have. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember one of the kids said to me, they were looking at some trinket that they wanted to bring back to remember their trip, and they said, well, Pastor Mike, how much does this cost? I said, we don't know yet. Right? You've been at those markets. You go out to the mall, you, or Walgreens, you pick it up and say, okay, it costs $2. <laughs> Well, we haven't started negotiating yet how much this is going to cost. We haven't started bartering as to what, what's going to happen here. But I want to tell you that it doesn't matter if you're, uh, uh, no matter where you're standing, Matamoros, Mexico, Marion, Iowa, Port-au-Prince, there is no bartering with the will of God. There is no bartering the will of God. He is right. He is righteous. He is always in the right place. And when we stand with Jesus, we give up our seat of rightness to allow justice and mercy of God to flow down in the world in which we live. When we abandon the ways of the world, and I have to tell you this, part of doing no harm is we have to abandon the way, the flow of the world in which we're in. And and Christians hear this, Methodists hear this, this is hard for us because we like to fit in. But if you're a student of the New Testament story, if you're a student of the incredible acts of faith, you need to understand that Christianity has never fit in to the cultures in which it's been. It has never fit in. Our job has never been to fit in with the culture. Our job has always been to influence the culture for Jesus Christ. We don't fit in, and that's hard for us because it's challenging for us because we, we, we want to follow God and we have to abandon the ways of the world at, at, some, at some way and, and listen to God. And I will tell you, nonconformance is hard. It's been hard for me in a lot of different ways. But when you say, I'm going to do no harm, Understand this, you have no control over where God will take you. None at all. The second general rule of the Methodist Church is do good. Do good of every sort that you can. Of every sort that you can. Do good to your bodies. Think about this. Do you ever think of your own body as part of your Christian life? See, Lord looks at our bodies as, as a tool and a vessel for his ministry. So we have to take care of ourselves. We, we have to do the things that make our bodies more healthy. We have to be looking at how our bodies are. And that doesn't mean you have to stop completely eating Twinkies, but cut it down from 12 a week, okay? Um, you, you know, I just thought of that. I didn't even remember the word Twinkie. I don't think I've eaten one for 30 years, but not that I don't look like one would fit. But, but we have to care for our bodies, and I will tell you that, that that is the first leg to caring for the body of others. You, you know, we were reminded that the, the theological exam that Jesus gives us in the Scriptures, this is Matthew 25, when I was thirsty, did you give me anything to drink? 
When I was in prison, did you come visit me? When I was hungry, did you give me anything to eat? When I was, when I was naked, did you give me anything to wear? So we care for our bodies, which leads us in our doing good to naturally care for the bodies of others. We do flat, fly sack lunches every week during the summer here. We do a lot of things that care for the bodies of others. We support community health free clinic. We do other kind of things to support the bodies of human beings because we know this. If your body's not right, it's hard to hear the word of God. If you're if your stomach is growling so loud, it's hard to hear the word over that. If you're so concerned about something that's in your body, you've got to be in such a place of healthfulness, mental body, mind, and spirit that you can hear the word of God and do something about it. We're also to care for the souls of the world. When we do good, we, we care for the souls by instructing people, by teaching, by reproving, which is to correct them, by, by exhorting, which means simply encouraging people, which back to my rock climbing thing is to put in motion what you know. See, Christianity, doing good is a proactive way of, of living, and, and here's why. We're all connected. John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Any of us that own a house in Iowa right now knows that we're picking up the sticks of the winter, right? We're picking up all those sticks that have broken off the trees and the bushes in our yards. And they're throw- we're throwing them away to either be burned in a pile or taken in a refuse bag. But we know this, unconnected to whatever tree they were or bush they were, they're useless. They're kindling. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. See, our connection to God, in, in the churchy language we call this discipleship, our connection to God enables us to do the good works that God prepared for us in advance to do. Our connection to God enables us to be disciples. And it will, again, remind yourself of this. It will take you to a place where you might not have chosen. I've seen some faces in here right now. I know that alongside me, in 2008, you were taken to places that you may not have chosen. I can remember very clearly being in the basement of a woman's house, mucking it out. Get, you know, the mask on, the hog confinement boots on. I'm carrying stuff out. And I got to meet this lady, and she was a professional belly dancer. Methodist preacher, you explain that to your wife when you get home. <laughs> Where have you been today, Mike? I was at the belly dancer's house. Go dinner with that someday, I'm telling you. But we were down there, we're clean, and we and she was a wonderful woman, actually. She goes to St. Saint James United Methodist Church, but... It was, to me, a lot of us never had even mucked anything out, which really just means cleaning the yucky, gross stuff out and make it sanitary so you're not going to die by using that house. That was a place I never expected to go. Not too long ago, we were at a, a, a restaurant. It's another place I never expected to go. I mean, I actually am looking to, for things, opportunities to talk to people all the time, but I was at a restaurant, and uh, one of us at the table was wearing some religious paraphernalia. I don't remember if it was a T-shirt or jewelry or what. But, but the waiter asked us, so do you guys believe in God? And I'm like, step into my office. And we started talking. And I said, well, what do you believe in? And he says, well, I believe in the Course in Miracles. Have you ever heard of this, by the way? 
It's for the foundation of inner peace. It's kind of the religion of Oprah. It it was a book, A Course in Miracles. It sold 2 million copies because it was on her. It only sold 2.5 million in 30 years, but it sold 2 million after that. We're this kind of, oh, everything is God, everything's connected, and whatever you think, and you can become your goal. And I said, man, we got to talk longer about this. But here's the thing. I never expected when I was there ordering a salad or a burger or whatever I was doing for that to be a moment where we were going to listen and share ideas. I went with some friends to have something to eat. But the opportunity, it took me to a place to hear someone's, you know, what their deep thinkings, their thoughts of their minds, and, and, and for me to share it with them. And, and the same is, is true for you. God is going to take you to places that you don't expect to be. And you need to know why. Goodness is not about you. And it's not about me. I want you to look at the screen because I kind of blew this reading in the first service. So take a look at these words by Bishop Job. Here's why goodness is not <clears throat> about you or me. Every act and word must pass through the love and will of God and there be measured to discover if its purpose does indeed bring good and goodness to all it touches. Isn't that awesome? Every act and every word must pass through the love and will of God and there be measured to discover if its purpose does indeed bring good and goodness to all it touches. You do good. You have the awareness of God stamped on your heart. And, and you open your eyes to the fact that I'm going out there looking to bless. I'm looking to bless people. And then you arise to the challenge. And, and, and above all else, you do good. Now, I know where we're at, both in time and in your attention span. I've been here a little bit. So I want to remind you, this last piece, you've heard it before. When you start talking about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself, I know what that can sound like up here. We've heard that one before, Charlie Brown teacher. Do you know why you've heard it before? Because you need to hear it. And we need to hear it again. And Wesley's third general rule leans right into something that you've heard many times before. And you've heard it before because you need to. The third general rule is this. Stay in love with God. And I apologize for not giving you enough room on the sheet because the second, the first bullet is attend to every ordinance of God. Attend to every ordinance of God. Worship. Read the Scripture. Study the Scripture. Hear the Scriptures preached. I I guarantee you that there's probably nobody in here that hears more sermons than Keith and I because we listen to sermons all the time. But I also want to remind you that you're preaching sermons Every day. When you talk to little kids and they're asking you something, you're preaching a sermon. When you're at work and somebody says, do you believe in God? Whatever you say next is a sermon to them. Okay? Because you have more opportunities to preach than we do. Because you're with a lot more people just by the sheer mass of us all than we do. So attend to every ordinance of God. Don't be afraid to have the Lord's Supper a lot. Don't be afraid to, to pray and fast and, and abstain for, from things for periods of time for your faithfulness. Because it is expected from Wesley, as Wesley says, of all that they should continue to evidence the desire of their salvation. There's got to be evidences that you are seeking God in your life. Because many of the choices that, we live, many of the choices that we've made in our lives lead to nowhere. Do you hear what I said? Many of the choices we, le- we make in our lives lead to nowhere. 
And much of the time we spend in our life leads to nowhere. Let me give you an example. And this is why I, I, I'm going to meddle just a little bit. Do you know that I would suspect that there's people in this room that know the plot line of their favorite television show better than they know the plot line of the Gospel of Matthew? You know, there are people, you know, some of us in here, I can see some of your gray hair in here. Some of us have had three or five favorite shows in our lives that have lasted five or ten years. And we know more about Bonanza or Cheers or Seinfeld or Modern Family than maybe we know about the Scriptures. And in our daily lives, we have to ask, where are my choices leading to? Are they leading to a good place or are they... They, they leading to nowhere. Because one of the United Methodist distinctives that we're talking about here is make choices that grow your love of God. Wesley has all these disciplines, and the reason he puts this in front of us, because he says, you do leads to greater you believe. When you do, it leads to greater you will believe. Put your, your faith into practice, and your faith will expand. Let me, let me explain it this way. My dear friend, Keith, is a motorcycle guy. You knew that, right? You're going to miss a whole sermon of no football illustrations, so I'm going to use a motorcycle illustration. I've known Keith for a long time. I knew him when, back in the day when he had a Harley before he moved to be with us. But then he sold it and through the course of events, moved here and didn't have a motorcycle. But Keith's a motorcycle guy, right? So he wanted a little motorcycle, so he got this little scooter thing. He got a little scooter. I think it probably topped out at 28 miles an hour, you know? And and then he's got a helmet. And then he said, oh, this is not enough. And then he got this 250, which is a street bike. And he could, you know, buzz around a little bit. But it really was, it is a street bike. It wasn't a motorcycle, right? And I kept yearning for Keith, you know, that he would get that. Because I know he's a motorcycle guy. And, and eventually, probably after being here a year or so, I heard that rumble outside. And by the way, a 250 is not a Harley either, by the way. But I heard this outside the window. I said, Keith got himself a motorcycle. I looked out there and there was a nice Harley Sportster. You see, every person I've ever known that's into motorcycles has this experience. Motorcycle leads to more motorcycle, leads to more motorcycle, right? You get a motorcycle, then you get a helmet, then you get a bigger bike, then you get the leathers, then you, on and on and on. That's the same for everything, right? Camping, my parents had camper, camper, camper. Look, at, You know, more camping leads to more camping. More boats lead to more boats. I pray for you boat people, sorry about that. Athletics lead to more athletics. And I got to tell you this. Love of God leads to more love of God. Love of God leads to more love of God. Wesley says, put your love of God into practice and it will lead to what? More love of God. Put it into play. Don't let your decisions lead to nowhere. The love of God leads to more love of God. Look what Paul says in Colossians. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in Him. That means there's the assumption there. Paul is already saying that when you've received Christ, you're already in Him. So continue to live in Him. Your, your faith will grow. Rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith you were taught. It's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And overflowing with thankfulness. All that in the midst of a very messy world. See, the United Methodist general rules, these are the distinct rules that we have, are the practical application of what it means for us to follow Christ. Are they perfect? No, and absolutely not. Of course not. There are a method of faithfulness in a messy world. 
They couldn't be perfect. We live in a messy, broken world. And our faith journeys, the path of our straight faith journeys will not be straight. But I'll tell you this. This is the right room to say it in. Our faith journeys won't be straight, but they're definitely not lived in a straight pew. Okay? Faith journeys are meant to be journeys, not destinations. You can't live out your faith completely entirely sitting in a straight back pew in a beautiful old building. That's not how faith works. It's got to get up. And it's got to keep moving. And so the decision that we call upon as we come to the table in just a few moments is I'm going to be faithful. In the midst of it all, in the midst of the mudstorm that is my life and the lives of the people around me, in the midst of differing, differing opinions and, and the current of the, of the way of the world right now, I am going to be faithful. And I'm going to pick my path and I'm going to put in motion what I know. By doing no harm, by doing good, and by in every single moment staying in love with God. This is the faith that we're called to do. It's what makes us distinct. We're absolutely unapologetically Christian. And we need to live that faith out in this way, in this particular Methodist distinction.